This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello, you're listening to Beyond the Ballot Box with me, Darshan Johan. Last Friday, the UMNO Supreme Council, under the leadership of President Ahmad Zaid Hamidi, sacked prominent figures such as Kairi Jamaluddin, Slango UMNO Licensed Committee Chairman Tansri No Omar, and a couple of others. It also suspended several other prominent members such as Hishamuddin Hussein and Sharil Hamdan. But what does this mean for UMNO? What does this mean for their reform agenda? And what does this mean for our political landscape moving forward? Joining me on the show today is Kevin Zhang. He's a research officer at the Malaysian Studies Programme at the ICS Yusof Ishak Institute. Welcome to the show, Kevin. What do you make of the recent purge at UMNO? Thank you, Kwasun. Thanks for having me to join BFM again. It's been really the talk of the towns. You know, it's, it's, it's a big news because from their point of view, the sacking or the freezing of their membership has not been going through the due process, right? So as what KJ was talking about, that um, you know, he wasn't given a show cause, he wasn't called to explain, you know, there was no uh, avenue for him to explain what he was doing and he was just sacked uh, purely basis of uh, party president Zahid Hamidi. Of course, this is what Kyrie's uh, point of view. Um, I think um, the interesting is that Amno has been going through uh, several uh, schisms or divisions. Um, of course, the, re- the most recent one was the second of Tanshri Mayuddin and uh, when Najib was the Prime Minister. And each time when there's a major sacking of senior leaders within Amno, we can be sure that there will be repercussions. Either they will join a new party or they will try to fight back in some way or uh, there will be reconfiguration somewhere, somehow in Malaysian politics. So I think this is what makes this incident so salient and significant. Indeed, the likes of Kairi Jamaluddin um, has claimed, in fact, he came on BFM's Breakfast Grill and he talked about how the sackings and suspensions were done without due process, like you brought up, um, as enshrined in the party's constitution. And there's been a lot of debate on whether the sackings are fair, whether it followed the due process. But Kevin, from my vantage point, it also seems like just uh, you know, business as usual with AMNO because historically speaking, we've seen um, even during the times of um, Dr. Mahade with the sacking of Anwar Ibrahim uh, and so on and so forth, even during Najib's time, um, you know, this seems like sort of embedded within the DM- DNA of AMNO. Exactly, and I think I totally agree with you that it seems like just a BAU for AMNO because uh, if our recollection is correct, I'm not sure whether there was actually a due process when Anwar was sacked in 1998 Neither was there really a process when Tan Sri Mayudin was sacked by Najib in 2015. So I would say that the um, uh, party structure ever since Mahathir became the cha- chairman in the 80s onwards has been really uh, central on the party president. So whoever is the party president, uh, the person who have immense power to the extent of you know being able to direct you know who is the division chief or who is going to be sacked or suspended. So, I mean, of course, AMNO does have, you know, all these seeming procedures about, you know, party elections or, you know, apparently for sacking, there's a need for the disciplinary board. But I think that how AMNO is operating is practice is that the party chairman has a lot of such powers. So it's a bit strange because I, I think this is just how AMNO operates as usual. And, uh, you know, due process doesn't seem to be a key procedure that is being emphasised upon most of the time anyway. What exactly led to this purge? What is 
happening within UMNO that is causing this purge? Because this isn't this current purge is just the latest chapter. As we know, before the 15th general election, there was also some sackings and suspensions there. So what's leading to all of this? Yeah, uh, good question, Dastran. I think that it is really important to look at this second purge, or a purge it's called it. Uh, within the context of what led up to twenty, uh, the 15th general election, or in other words, what happened when uh, then Prime Minister Ismail Sabi was the PM, right? even though he was only the Vice President of AMU. So, in short, uh, when Ismail Sabri was the Prime Minister, uh, he had his own ministers, right? And uh, of course, Ismail Sabri was only the third highest ranking within Amno, even though he was Malaysia's Prime Minister. And when he was a minister, um, there were basically two camps with the Amno. There was people who were aligned to party presidents ahead, and there was people who were more aligned towards Prime Minister Ismail Sabri than Prime Minister. So, and, and I would say that the tensions between these two camps became really... Uh, obvious and salient to the extent that uh, in the lead up to general election, you see important uh, key party leaders such as uh, Shahidan from Berlis, they were dropped, uh, you know, not given the, the chance to contest in election. And um, I would say that, or even for that matter, Tajuddin, right, who was also Pasir uh, Salah, he, he wasn't given a chance to, to contest. And I would say that this second is really just the latest episode of um, uh, these two factions in Amno trying to rival for for control over the party, and and, and now that uh, Zahid of course has the upper hand because he's uh, within the unity government as the deputy prime minister, so you know it's basically his his time of the show now. Now that he has the upper hand and he he can basically do what he wants to within the party. Can you help me understand the dynamics of political parties a little bit more? Because um, we, all, we, we often hear about how when someone is like, for example, Ismail Sabri, um, like you said, he was he was the, the vice president of AMNO at one point. But then, you know, a lot of people were saying that, oh, now that he is the prime minister of the country, even within AMNO, the ball is somewhat within his court. And now the same sort of argument is being made that in which now Zahid Hamidi is not just the president of AMNO, he's also the deputy prime minister of Malaysia. What is the significance of being a cabinet? minister towards you know your standing within your party itself yeah i would say that um it's very very, very uh i mean we probably all i mean it's, it's probably quite obvious through the news that cabinet position is quite a, uh, something that people aspire towards but i would say that there's also uh, important differences among the cabinet minister positions right so let's not forget that i hit apart from being a deputy prime minister which not that much substantive power it's more of a probably a symbolic power. But what's really important is that Zahid also is the rural and uh, rural development minister. And that gives him a lot of access, uh, government machinery, uh, uh, allocation of funding in order to, uh, because we know that Amno at the end of the day is still a mass-based party that mainly has its roots these days in the rural areas in Malaysia. And definitely as the minister of uh, rural development, that gives him a lot of leverage on, for that matter, appointing of uh, JJ, JKKK, local village chief, uh, also about how uh, rural allocation is spent and also not forgetting the GLCs that are under the uh, Rural Development Ministry, which has actually one of the highest number of GLCs, if I remember correct. So these are all leverage that uh, Zahid Hamidi, the current uh, AMLO president, can use and to uh, use it for his advantage. And um, so, we, which is why uh, I would say that it's probably not very surprising why he's doing these uh, the mass sacking at the current time, 
because he felt that you know uh, he really had the upper hand uh, at present compared to what it was before the general election, right? Where he didn't really have any position within the cabinet. What are the implications of this sacking towards an already weakened AMNO? Because we talk about business as usual, but AMNO um, is no longer the giant behemoth that it once was. Now we're talking about a party that has 30 seats in, in parliament. It is so far, you know, no longer, it is no longer the the grand old, um, you know, dominant party it once was. So what is the implications of this sacking towards AMNO internally? Probably two implications at two different levels you can look at. The first is that historically, whenever there's a sacking uh, of senior leaders within AMNO, you will see an exodus of these leaders, either forming their new party or, for example, S46, led by Tengku Razali back then, the right. Anwar, leading, forming PKR, or is it Tanshi Mahidin forming uh, Basatu. And the, it's interesting that each of these important episodes, the, um, the, the these former AMNO leaders, they were actually joined the multiracial, or uh, at least they worked with a multiracial party for that matter at uh, DAP when S46 or even Basatu working with PH in 2018. So there, there seems to be some uh, some push that wherever people are dislodged from AMNO, they have to you know get some support from the normally electorate. Uh, I mean, of course, this was when um, what, what I mentioned was where AMNO was the hegemon. So I'm not sure whether this was certainly get out this time around, but I think that is certainly a possibility that uh, Kyrie might choose to work with a multiracial party. Um, but I think the other thing that uh, is also, uh, so, so, so that's a good side, right? That, or rather, that, that, that could be a positive outcome of what may happen uh, uh, from the second. But I think there's also the other part that's more worrying is that for the longest time, AMNO has been, as what, uh, you know, scholars call it, Malaysia has been this consultational model where AMNO seems to be the dominant Malays-based party and you have other minority groups having their own parties. And I think even if you look at the, the recent general election results, uh, AMNO seems to be, uh, broadly speaking, the centre ground. So you have Prikatan National, which is more right-wing, conservative, Islamic-oriented than AMNO, and you also have PH that's more a lot more multiracial, uh, secular that AMNO, right? So AMNO seems to be, uh, broadly speaking, in the central, or at least in between these two other coalitions. So AMNO is the more, more central ground. And what might possibly happen is that if AMNO, for whatever reasons, after second implodes and, you know, continue to even lose their whatever remaining influences they have, you might really just uh, have a polarized, even more polarized political climate in Malaysia, which is either uh, Prikata National or Pakata Harapan. And I would say that this is not a very encouraging development for Malaysia if that happens. In the, in other words, if AMNO really goes out of the picture, I think that the choices that voters have to be even more stuck and uh, polarized. I want to circle back to that and dive a little bit deeper into it. But let's look at the current government, uh, the current configuration of the of the government, right? Because um, this Malaysia Madani government, as we know, is led by Pakatan Harapan, yes, but it's not a Pakatan Harapan government per se because the coalition government, uh, you know, comprising of Barisan National, GPS, Warisan, and, and the likes. What do the recent sackings and suspensions at AMNO tell us about the stability of the Anwar-led government in the short term and the long term? You know, in politics, one day is a long time. Right? <laughs> one day is a week politics. So right. I guess short can be in the next one week, one month, one year. Uh, probably anything more than 
a year's a long term. Uh, I'll say that uh, with the sacking of uh, people like Hishamuddin and Kyrie, uh, in the immediate short run, basically in the, in the time leading up to the next state election, which pro- probably will be happening around like June or July, uh, the government will be more stable. The reason is because uh, we know that the, um, there were two factions within uh, AMNO and one faction, Zahid's camp, prefer to work with under the current unity government, whereas uh, Hishamuddin's faction uh, seems to be more amenable towards working with different partners like PN or whatsoever. So definitely within a short time, um, there will be, AMNO will be, um, you know, whatever grievances there are, I think uh, AMNO members will throw the party's president line, which is uh, to continue working within the unity government there by Anwar Ibrahim. Uh, but of course, uh, things in the, lab, the longer term might be different. As we said, that uh, you know, it really depends on after the sacking, does Amno manage to reform itself, to revitalize, and to portray itself as a viable Malay-based coalition for the Malay electorate, and to some extent, also some multiracial aspects under the BN coalition. So, if that doesn't happen, then it is possible to see even more dilution of support among the Malay voters and. You know, these people will likely go towards Pikata National. And I would say that that would also create another set of very uh, vulnerable issues, right? So we let's not forget why Sheraton happened. And one of the key reasons was that uh, the Pakatan Harapan government then performed really badly in uh, a string of uh, by-elections, most notably Tanjong PI. So I do think that um, uh, definitely AMNO is solidly within the 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 realm of unity government for now, but if AMNO MPH comes the election does not perform, or in other words, uh, suffer massive defeat, then I think that the stability of the unity government will be up uh, in the air, probably in the second half of the Where do the members of AMNO members who are sacked go from here? Um, we know that Perikata National has you know, said they will welcome a, the bunch of them with open arms, while Pakatan Harpan appears to be taking a wait-and-see approach. You know, immediately um, the likes of Anthony Loke and all came out and said, you know, we don't need to accept any UMNO members yet. Um, we're going to pump the brakes on that narrative. Um, um, the same with PKR. They said, you know, we are not, you know, just opening our doors to all the UMNO members who, who got suspended or sacked and, and so on and so forth. Where do you think this leaves the whole um, Prikata National and, and Pakatan Harapan coalitions in terms of where do these AMNO members who got sacked, where do they go? Yeah, I mean, if I may go back to a previous point that we talked about, mm. it is that, you know, previously where AMNO sacked its members, be it like the Gurazali or Anwar, a few decades ago, there was an absence of Malay leaders in multiracial parties. But that has been, you know, that is not really a concern now because now you have uh, multiple uh, prominent Malay leaders within PKR or even for the matter DAP and of course you have Amana who are uh, all multiracial parties. So it's not as easy for people like Kyrie to join PH unlike maybe 30 years ago where uh, I'm sure the multiracial parties would be a lot more uh, willing to, to, to work with Malay leaders or former Malay leaders from AMCO. Um and the, the other question is uh, is also given that uh, the currently the the, the the each of the the parties the major parties their senior leadership is you know most of the position has already been filled up uh, PKR DAP for that matter and 
it's difficult to also find a spot where uh, people like, uh, for example, Kyrie can be able to feed into the party without causing too much uh, dislocation towards the existing party structure. I think it's also important to remember that um, there are definitely a, a groundswell of support for, for Kyrie. I mean, for their matter, it's not Bolo. He, he only lost by slight uh, margin, right? So definitely he is popular within Clank badly. But I think part of the reason is also because back then Kyrie was within the Amnos camp. And there are people, be it Malays or not Malays, saw Kyrie as a uh, very useful and perhaps even tool, you know, to reform Amno from within. And now that Kyrie has been sacked, uh, you know, rather mercilessly from Amno, perhaps he can go back to Amno, but I think the short run that's going to be difficult. So definitely there's a lot less, uh, perhaps some people might think that, you know, well, if Kyrie can't reform Amno, then does he still have the clout? Does he still have the influence to get the Malay ground, the middle ground votes? And I think that's a very open question. Because that's what I said, you know, you have... Uh, numerous Malay leaders within the existing multiracial parties who are already working on the middle ground. So it really depends how much more influence Kyrie can bring in uh, from the Amno supporter side. And I think that isn't so clear time. On the show with me today is Kevin Zhang. He's a research officer at the Malaysian Studies Programme at ICS Yusof Ishak Institute. After the break, we continue our discussion on the recent Amno purge. Keep it here on Beyond the Ballot Box, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Beyond the Ballot Box. I'm Darshan Johan and on the show with me today is Kevin Zhang. He's a research officer at the Malaysian Studies Programme at the ICS Yusof Ishak Institute. And we're talking about the recent purge at UMNO. So Kevin, I do think the most interesting piece of the puzzle is Kari Jamaluddin. Because since G15 ended, there has been plenty of talk about how Harpan is now more of a natural ally for UMNO compared to Perikatan National. And this is because Harapan is struggling to penetrate the Malay heartland and the competition in the Malay heartland, at least for now, is between Perikatan National and AMNO. Interestingly, Kairi Jamaluddin doesn't fall into the category of AMNO members with strong Malay support in the Malay heartland or among Malay um, conservatives. And that's been the narrative for some time. Um, if you look at the Sungai Bulo constituency results, for example, PAS garnered around 21% of the votes in GE14 and GE15. However, in GE15, Pakatan Harapan's vote share dropped significantly and Barisan National's vote share increased because KJ contested for Barisan National there. So while we need more granular data to do proper analysis on, on the particular constituency who voted for who, it seems like, at least on the surface, that Kari Jamaluddin shares roughly the same voter base as Pakatan Harapan. So where does KJ fit into the puzzle? Tough question and it... I mean, if I can just go back to Sungai Bola said for, uh, you know, just using that as the data to talk about things, which is that, um, so of course, if you look at uh, just the numbers, Prima Fessi, uh, KJ did not really brought in anyone from the past of Brigada National side, because those people seem to be still supporting them. Uh, I mean, perhaps it's true, but it's important to remember throughout Malaysia, I mean, I did some research on Johor and Perak in G15, mm-hmm. but there was a swing in support across almost all seats towards uh, Picata National, be it the urban seats, be it the semi-urban seats, be it the rural seats. I mean, of course, you can leave out those seats that have about 60 or 70% non-Malay votes, but 
for the Malay majority seats, regardless of uh, urban rural status, there was a swing towards Brigata National. And it's interesting they mentioned it, and I didn't realize it until you mentioned it, that, um, you know, that Brigata National did not, uh, you know, experience a, a rising support in Sungai And I suspect that part of the reason could really be because there were people who were, you know, whatever their sentiments are towards UMNO, but because of the presence of KJ as a reformist person, they continued to vote for BN. And the hypothetical situation is that if there wasn't a KJ, Sungai Polo would have been like most other seats for uh, Krikata National to increase uh, at least a 10 to 15% uh, increase in support. So you saw this in places like Moa, where, uh, you know, PASS almost got a, uh, won over the seat, even though in 2018 they got, I think, less than 10%. So I would say that definitely KJ is still a valuable asset, uh, you know, for both both uh, Amno and PH definitely, because he seemed as the person that you know just by stemming the the preventing the further decline of votes between twenty eighteen to twenty twenty two. I think that's already a remarkable achievement. I think not many Amno candidates are able to achieve that, right? Uh, of course, let's not forget that Swan Bolo is within Clang Valley and the. Demographic in Klang Valley is very different from those that is right. outside of the Klang Valley. And I'm not sure whether how much influence uh, Kyrie has, uh, especially among the more rural SMA urban areas, given that Kyrie is definitely seen as a Oxbridge educated elite, uh, someone who speaks you know, perfect English. But you know whether does he able to reach out to the Malays in the rural areas? I think that's an open question. But the, the point being there is that for him to have a you know, that important sway within the Klang Valley, be it both the Malay and the non-Malay areas, I think that's really a very big asset for any party to, to try to get, uh, get hold of. There's also a lot of talk, um, you know, as we head towards the state elections and future elections that PH and Barisan National will come up with some sort of strategic alliance, um, you know, seat distribution negotiations and, and things like that. But the question now is, will Pakatan Harapan supporters throw their support behind a Pakatan Harapan Barisan National Alliance, considering the point that you brought before, that now when you know people saw the likes of KJ and Sharil Hamdan as the people who perhaps could usher Amno into a new era, but these people are either suspended or sacked altogether. So will people throw their support behind a Pakatan Harapan Barisan National Alliance, a Barisan National that seemingly has got rid of many of their progressive voices, a progressive relative terms I'm using here? Uh, yeah, I, I think that's the billion dollar question all of us are thinking heading up the state elections. Uh, there's, so the what's unclear now at the moment is that, of course, Pakatan Harapan is lukewarm towards accepting these people formally either sacked or suspended from UMNO. We still don't know yet whether are these people going to join PH. If they're going to join PH, uh, personally, I think it's going to be hard because currently the unity government is between PH and essentially Zahid's UMNO, right? So why would PH rock the board by taking in the people who just Zahid just sacked a few weeks or months before? So assuming that uh, people like Kyrie do not join PH, uh, whether do they join PN, I mean, that's an open question. But assuming that these people do not join PH, I think given the current political climate in Malaysia is that, uh, at least among the Chinese votes, Prikata National seems to really have a hard time uh, getting their trust for the matter. So I think the last election, it was, seems to be a repeat of 2018. I think, if I'm not mistaken, PN got only about, these are estimates about, about only a few percent, they say less than 5% of the non 
Malay, especially the Chinese support. Right. And I think what was done ever since the GE doesn't really help to cement this uh, image for PEN among the non-Malays. So, for example, we know that in uh, Trunganu, they actually uh, make it uh, criminal for pregnancies outside of uh, marriage. And I, uh, I mean, of course, in Kedah, there was also the banning of uh, lottery and 4D, right? And these are the things that does seems to have uh, quite a significant uh, ramifications among the Chinese or in, in, in broader speaking, the non-Malay community. So I do not think that given a choice between AMNO come PH or Prikata National, I think it's very unlikely for uh, especially the Chinese voters to go back to vote for PN. But I do think that it definitely still raise a concern is that these people might, and we saw in the Johor election, is that when faced with a seemingly uh, lack of credible options, many people just decide to stay out. And we saw this in the Johor election, whereas the uh, polling rate was a lot lower in the Chinese area compared to the Malay areas. So uh, it could be that these people just do not turn up for the state election, uh, also depending on a lot of factors when which day the state election fall on. But I think it's highly unlikely for these people to be casting their support towards Kuikata uh, National, considering what some of the uh, narrative and the policies that's been implemented, especially in the past uh, half a year or so. Now, you touched on this a little bit, um, but perhaps you can expand on it more. Um, since G15, there has been some talk that UMNO should or will take up the role of the so-called moderate centre sandwiched in between Pakatan Harapan, which is fairly centre as well, but maybe centre to the left, and the Islamist um, past slash Perikatan National. So what does this purge mean for that narrative, considering who was purged? The instant reaction of most of us thought is that, oh, does it mean there'll be a decline of the centrist or moderate right. party, right, given that uh, people like KJ or even Shari Hamdan are seen as the more progressive front of AMNO. But I think that um, the current uh, AMNO president Zahid is also very cognizant that uh, there needs to be a reform uh, within AMNO to be seen as more multiracial. Uh, in fact, in the Padang Sarai by election, he was he was speaking Chinese to the the Chinese audience there, and uh, you know, of course, it was seems to be uh, drawing uh, some 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 praise for that. So, um, I I I think the point being that you know, just because some the more moderate leaders departed from AMNO, there is it does not mean that AMNO does not have the opportunities to reform itself. I mean, I think if if you know, of course, it might be harder, but it's not impossible for Amdo to uh, to implement some uh, changes to make himself seem as a moderate, to cut down on the use of racial, religious rhetoric, especially when it's part of the unity government now, uh, given that the political incentives are more aligned towards uh, moderating stance compared to when he was in opposition, right, in 2018. So I do think that, um, you know, it really depends what the party president decides to take the party forward and... Uh, yeah, even after the second. There's been a lot of talk about reforming AMNO, and this talk started, I guess, you know, many, many years ago, but especially, you know, after AMNO lost, Barisan National lost for the first time at the uh, GE14 2018 elections. But there was no reforms done, nothing meaningful, nothing significant. Um, there's still patronage culture, warlord culture, people in court trials running running the show and, and things like that. Um, and then again, after GE15, we, we, you know, there's a lot of talk about reforming AMNO. Otherwise, AMNO is on its final days and, and so on and so forth. 
But again, those that wanted reform, like Sharil Hamdan, they have all been silenced or sacked. Is unknown heading towards their demise? Or do we see a, a, a sort of possibility out in, in terms of looking at the political landscape in which Amno comes out of this stronger than they were before? Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned there. I mean, the talks of Amno reforming itself happened ever since, uh, you know, after money politics steeped into Amno when Mahathir was... Uh, president in the 70s right. you know the idea of the need for reform has been going on for the past 50 years so i think realistically speaking reform is definitely going to be difficult for amno given there are a lot of the political cultures it's why you rightly mentioned patronage uh money politics uh, warlordism is probably a, a feature in the party but let's also not forget that um at least, I mean, of course, if you're talking about AMNO getting back into power, like what it was in Hades being the sole Malay party, I don't think that's possible. Because if anything, Malaysia shows, and in fact, across the world, right, you see there's a lot more contestation uh, for, for voters. And you see that voters are a lot more uh, shrewd nowadays to choose the parties that best represent their interests. For that matter, even in UK, the Conservative Party managed to win over some seats that has been the Labour fit for the last 50 years. So I do think that uh, increased contestation, the decline of a single party representing a single race or a single party hegemony, I think that's, that's a done deal in, in Malaysia and many other countries. So the question is that can Amno remains a rele- relevant uh, force within the Malay community? And I think that uh, there are still quite a number of reasons why Amno can continue to function this role. Uh, let's not forget that Amno grassroots is still probably uh, the best in the country apart from maybe in Kelantan, Trangana, where past you have a formidable grassroots machinery. So so definitely Amno machinery, even in this G22, you know, you see a lot of issues with it. Um, uh, the energy I like to use, like, it's like an old Mercedes of BMW. <laughs> it's, there's issues, you know, it's the lubricants, you know, the when you change the gear, it's a bit uh, rusty. There seems to be more uh, going, things going on. But, you know, that machine itself is still there. And it's probably not going to collapse the next day or so, right? Even if you have a continental car for 30 years. Yeah. And the and 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 these are the things that things like the uh, Amnios uh, machinery, even the, the the ideology of uh Malay nationalism, this is something that Basatu of course tries to emulate, but it's not very successful at least until now. And these are the things that things are like ideology machinery, this cannot be easily replaced. And these are the fixed deposit factors, you know, that can enable a party to at least retain some influence. Uh, in the coming at least five to ten years, right? Whether it wins the seat or not is another factor, but definitely there will be some influence for Amno. So the question will be that, you know, can Amno place its card, like like what you say, you know, start to revive the engine, or is it going to on, on this downward spiral? Uh, I would say that it's a difficult question. You, um, you know, it depends on the upcoming party elections that, you know, who are going to contest for vice president and also the Supreme Council positions. But I would say that uh, it's probably too early, too soon to to think that Amno is going to be a irrelevant force because if anything, uh, you know, money nationalism, the need for grassroots machinery, these are relevant even this year age of social media elections. We talked about Amno. We have talked about the, the impact towards the unity government. But I want to touch on Perikatan National as well, a little bit more in depth, right? Because they are welcoming Amno people with open arms. Um, they did that during the previous purge as well, before GE15, and they reaped benefits from it in the sense that, for example, if you look at Shaidan Kasim, he switched to Perikatan National 
and he used the pass flag and he defeated under the Perikatan National Pass Flag, he defeated defeated the AMNO um, um, flag, uh, the AMNO logo. I'm wondering, you know, when we look at the likes of Hishamuddin, who allegedly and, you know, even the AMNO in AMNO, in like they have come out and said that he was one of the people that, um, you know, wanted to support Muhyiddin Yassin. So let's say if we are looking at, you know, who, whoever's in his faction and some other people, let's say like the likes of No Omar, um, if they join Perikatan National, will this be a huge plus for Perikatan National? Um, whether we are talking about bolstering their, their popularity or whether we are talking about um, election results? Yeah, it's a good point. And um, in the absence of granular uh, polling district data levels, um, I think I'll be hesitant to give you a clear-cut answer. I think the question is that we know that Brigata National probably has already won over most of the conservative voters and conservative voters exist in both urban and rural areas, contrary to what we think them, yeah, taught them to be. Um, and also the question now is that whether the suppose that Kyrie Hisham, Hishamubin joins Brigata National, are they able to win over the more uh, moderate, presumably Malay ground voters, right? Because as what we said before, it's unlikely that Chinese in voters are going to switch to Brigata National regardless who their candidates are. So the question now is really for the more, I would say in the Klang Valley or even in some of the larger cities, those more moderate uh, voters who are annoyed, upset with the corruption scandals going on with the AMNO, but who might not agree with the use of uh, political Islam that uh, Prikata National and PAS has been using. So the question is, will these voters, how they swing towards? Uh, I don't really have an idea, but I do sense that um, just basing on some of the anecdotal evidence I heard here, is that um, if this faction joins uh, Prikata National, I do think it would really provide a significant booster for Pikata National, even in places like Slangor in the upcoming state election, because they are seen as, you know, they seem to have both the religious card uh, and also the reformists, for that matter, their supposed clean image, which uh, definitely Amdo is lacking on both counts, right? Um, but I would say that this number of voters is probably not a big majority. So um, based on some estimates, I read that Pikata National won about half of the Malay votes, uh, PH about 15%, BN about 35%. So at best, maybe a ballpark figure is that maybe they might get another 10% of Malay votes. So PN might win around 60 plus percent. But I'll say that, um, you know, the remaining uh, 30-40%, some of them are, are, are quite fervent uh, Pakaman supporters. I mean, look, if they voted for Pakistan in 2022 after what has happened the last four years, I think it's going to take a lot more than just people like Kyrie to join Pikatan for these people to ditch PH and join PN. Before we wrap this conversation up, um, would you have some final thoughts or a final message for us with regard to the purge in Amno? What is going to be the ripple effects? As, as what we said just now, a lot of what we discussed is the structural factors, the party structure. But I would say a lot now, it, it goes back to agency now. It depends on what Zahid, what... Uh, People like KJ, Kyrie, and even how would Anwar respond to such uh, situations? And I would say that the the writing is is not it, the, 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 there's no one fixed path forward, right? And and it really depends on how both sides play their card to decide how would the implications be for Malaysia moving forward. And on that note, thank you so much for speaking with me. Thank you so much. 
That was Kevin Zhang, Research Officer at the Malaysian Studies Program at the ICS Yusof Ishak Institute. If you missed any part of our conversation, you can also check us out on podcasts. We are available on the BFM app, bfm.my, but we're also available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. You just have to look up Beyond the Ballot Box. I'm Dashran Johan, and this has been Beyond the Ballot Box, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.